TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go. Happy holidays, Scoop Podcast faithful. This is episode 272 on this Friday night, the 20th of December. You say the 20th of December? That means one month until I turn 40 years old. Oh, goody. I cannot wait. This is Score North on 1500 AM, scorenorth.com. Hopefully you have the Score North app as well. We'll get to some Wolves notes. Are they really interested in Dennis Smith Jr.? Who are some other potential trade targets? We'll certainly get to the NFL. Mike Tice and Blake Barrett are scheduled to join next segment. But let's put the focus on baseball right now. Let's catch up with Kyle Gibson. Kyle spent a number of years with the Twins in free agency. He left the Twins, not that they tried to keep him. He is now a Texas Ranger. It's a three-year deal worth up to, with incentives, $31 million. He's guaranteed in the $27 million range, so he got paid. The Twins were not willing to do that, but Texas was. Let's catch up now with Kyle Gibson. Kyle, I appreciate you doing this. I suppose before we get to baseball, let's start with the most pressing matter. I know that you're a fantasy football aficionado. Are you playing for any championships this particular weekend? You know what? I, uh, I've had a lot of fantasy heartbreak in the last two weeks. Uh-huh. Uh, I had probably as successful as a, of a fantasy season as I've ever had. Uh, I made the playoffs in all four leagues I was in. Nice. Uh, I should have had to buy in two leagues and I didn't. Um, in the, in the big league with Minnesota, I started off nine and oh, rattled off four straight losses on a lot of underperformances and an MIA Tyler Lockett for the last two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and ended up missing out on the bye and, uh, lost in the first round on, uh, on some heartbreak. But, uh, I am now out of all four. It was uh, it was a rough couple weeks. Zach Ertz put the hurt on me uh, the last couple weeks. It was not good. All right, so it was Ertz, it was Lockett. Anybody else let you down? Uh, no, no. Zach Ertz was on the opposite side. Oh, okay, of of on the matchup. opposite side. Okay, yeah. He had the good game against the Redskins, right, last weekend? Yeah, yeah. He put the hurt on me uh, last week in two different leagues. Um, you know what? The injury that really kind of did me in, uh, I had two of them in that big first week of the playoffs, and it was Evan Ingram and Josh Jacobs both being out really hurt me. Um, I had a I had a really good team in the Minnesota League, and Ingram has missed the last five weeks, and Jacobs uh, was out at the inopportune time. So um, had I won and had to buy that week, then Jacobs' injury would have been uh, a non-factor because he was back the next week. But Yep, it's a fantasy heartbreak. It's not good. Yeah, it is not good. Now, who is going to end up playing for the championship here in the Minnesota League? Uh, I want to say it is Oder Rizzi and maybe Tyler Duffy. I have to check. Honestly, I stopped looking. I, <laughs> I got off of it. I don't care about the consolation bracket. I wasn't in the third place game. I was I was completely unplugged after that. Oh, that is classic. All right, let's talk baseball now, Kyle. I mean, much like your fantasy football season, the ups and the downs, the roller coaster. I mean, are those your emotions right now? 
you know, when talking about your move, I mean, I think about just, you know, everything you accomplished here in Minnesota. There has to be some sadness that you're leaving Minnesota, but there also has to be excitement heading to Texas. You know, it, uh, it took me, it took me a little bit. I, I sent out a tweet, uh, last week and it took me a little bit to come up with that. Um, and I wanted to really hold off and, and made sure I had everything how I wanted it. Um, because yeah, I mean, it was, it was bittersweet, no doubt. Uh, was, you know, we we're super excited for what's to come in Texas and, and a big believer that, you know, we are going to be, we're exactly where we're supposed to be in life. Um, and there's a reason that we're going to Texas. And, and, uh, so we're excited about that. Uh, we're excited about the direction that Texas is going and in a new ballpark and, and, uh, the direction that that club is heading, you know, in 2018, our record with the twins is almost exactly as the Texas Rangers record was this year. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully we can hit a record number of home runs and have that same, (laughs) you know, added wins, but, um, it's a similar type young core with, with a good pitching staff. So, so I'm excited about that. Um, but you know, I mean, it's, uh, as everybody talks about, you know, whether it's retirement or being traded or whatever, um, you know, you just, you, you know, the effect that those decisions have on relationships. Um, and that's one of the big parts of our game is, is getting to know the people around you. And, and in my wife and I's case, getting to know, you know, people in the community that, uh, we've had a lot of longstanding relationships with and, uh, our neighbors in Fort Myers that we've lived next to in spring training and, and in the off season for, you know, eight plus years. Um, it's people like that, that, you know, that you're not going to see as much and you know that undoubtedly the relationships are going to change, but, um, we had a little bit of time to prepare ourselves, um, and, and, uh, and try to get ready for that. But uh, you never quite are, uh, are ready to, to say goodbye in those situations. Was the free agent process pretty crazy? I mean, talking with multiple teams, having multiple options. I mean, was it just crazy, you know, as everything was presented there in front of you? You know, it was, I didn't really know what to expect, honestly. Um, I knew that, you know, with my health stuff down the, the last part of the season, it was going to have some type of an impact on it. Um, you know, it, it was just inevitable. You know, I didn't pitch as well, obviously, and, and, you know, was, was going into free agency at a less healthy status than I wanted to. Um, but you know what? It was, it was faster than I thought. Um, I think, I benefited a lot from this day and age of analytics and being able to, to look inside the numbers a little bit. Um, you know, I think people, you know, the last month and a half obviously was not how I wanted to pitch, but you know, there were still numbers there that, you know, showed signs of maybe this guy's really just really tired because he's not sleeping at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then being able to draw back on the first four months of the season where um, I still felt like I was able to compete pretty well. So, um, you know, my agent did a great job of, of seeking out the teams that, you know, needed starting pitching help, um, and was going to be in a position where they, you know, wanted to do a, a few year deal. And, and, um, you know, when it got down to the last couple of weeks and we knew we had a few options, it was like, all right, let's, let's do some due diligence here and, and make some phone calls to GMs and managers and players and, and figure out, cause it was all new cities, right? I mean, it was trying to find a place for, for three years where you're going to take your family and, and really do a lot of raising kids because, uh, you know, all three of them are born now and our three-year-old's going to be six by the time we leave and Hayden, our oldest, is going to be nine. So, uh, you know, trying to trying to find the spot where, you know, is going to be good for those kids to, to really enjoy the next three years. We're talking with Kyle Gibson. Kyle, on your health, I mean, colitis is no joke. I mean, Remind us, I mean, you go on a mission trip about this time last year, maybe it was in January, right? Haiti, Dominican Republic. You're yeah, doing all yeah. this good for so many people that need the help. But unfortunately, colitis hits you when you were in Haiti or the Dominican Republic? 
Yeah, so I came back and, and got E. coli, um, which is which is obviously a shortened version, but a little bit more serious than colitis. And um, I, I really, I had no idea what to expect, you know, the, the lasting effects of E. coli. I know that it can stick with you. The effects can kind of creep up over the next 10, 12 months, and that's kind of what happened is, you know, the extra, you know, inflammation and stress that E. coli put on my system really allowed this uh, ulcerative colitis to, to kind of set it in and, okay. and become an yeah. issue. But um, mm-hmm. when I started the season, I felt really good. You know, I'd seen a doctor and, and had, you know, uh, felt really good. Um, and that wasn't just, you know, feeding the media lines. That was, I felt really good when the season started and I felt like I'd put it behind me. Um, and it just kind of crept in as the season went along, you know, whether it was stress or travel or, or eating, whatever it might have been. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was probably one of the bigger mental and physical challenges I've been through uh, in my career, um, you know, trying to find ways. You know, I've done load management, and, you know, in September and trying to, you know, make sure you make this start with a sore back or that start with a little sore shoulder or whatever. But I uh, don't know that I've ever done it uh, on less sleep and, and less energy than I had. But, um, you know, it was, it was something that, looking back on it, if I could have, you know, made the decision to, to stop pitching earlier, I probably would have helped myself and the team out. But that's, uh, that's not necessarily my MO. I, I felt like I could go out there and pitch, and, and I wanted to take the ball whenever I could. How are you doing right now? Uh, better. You know, I've had, to, I've had to change treatment a little bit here and there, which is pretty normal with colitis. Um, you know, I've heard that it takes some people, you know, once they, you know, have what's called a flare-up, it can take, you know, six months to a year to find a medicine that actually works. So, um, you know, thankfully it started in the off-season when I got uh, another uh, scope to kind of figure out where I was at and, and where my, my gut health was. And um, we got a good plan going. And, and uh, for all intents and purposes, I feel like, uh, I'm going to be ready for opening day, and, and um, I don't have any reason to believe that that's not the case right now. So, um, you know, it's it's been a grind this beginning of the off season, just because when you start a new medicine, it takes a little bit of time to kick in. And, and uh, for those patients that have colitis or have known people with that uh, mm-hmm. with that disease, you you understand. And um, it's it's weathering a little storm a little bit, waiting for the medicine to kick in. But um, I'm doing a lot better, and and uh, I'm excited with the direction I'm going. That is fantastic news. Yeah, I mean, it is no joke. I mean, my mother-in-law deals with it, so I know firsthand, you know, just the effects it can have. So, yeah, I mean, we wish you nothing but the best on your health front. You mentioned that you and your agent, you know, were seeking out teams that had an obvious need for for a starter. I mean, what about the Twins? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, but the Twins, I mean, how much interest, if at all? I mean, was there any interest from the Twins in retaining you? Um, I think... uh... I don't know exactly on their end what the interest was. I mean, I think they definitely had other guys that they were targeting ahead of me. Um, we we really didn't have many conversations. I I had a good conversation with Derek and Thad right at the end of the season, uh, you know, making it clear that I would love to come back and, and if that's in their plans to come back. And um, I don't know if my agent received any phone calls or anything, but uh, never had an offer, never really had extensive talks at all. So, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there were, I think it was to a point where, you know, like I said, they had maybe a couple other guys they were targeting and that's part of the business, you know, um, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of, of what all they're trying to do. And I know they were working hard on getting some, something done with Jake with his qualifying offer and, and making that decision. And, you know, they've got a lot of young guys that I'm sure that they feel really confident in as well. And, and they should, they've got a lot of young pitchers. So, um, you know, no hard feelings. I think it, uh, it obviously was disappointing you know and that like i said in that tweet it was disappointing in the beginning of november to 
to kind of realize that it wasn't going to be an option. Um, but I mean, it, it's everything happens for a reason, and uh, you know, Minnesota is always going to have you know a special place in in my career and and a special place in my wife and I's heart. And yeah, I wish it uh, you know I wish it could have worked out, but you know, once once we realized that it wasn't, uh, we were excited about the opportunities that we had, and uh, you know, we're we're really excited about Texas and where we landed. I'm sure I speak for at least some Twins fans. I guess what's baffling to me, Kyle, is. You have that great run back end of 2017, all of 2018. I guess I'm confused why you and the Twins couldn't come to some sort of agreement spring training or last January, last December, to not even allow you the chance to hit unrestricted free agency. Uh, we had we had short talks um, in spring training. I think you know they was documented a little bit uh, that we were trying to work through it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, uh, it was, it, it didn't last too long. The twins are really professional about it, but they, I think they, uh, you know, once again, I don't know the ins and outs of what they were looking at, how many years down the road they look, obviously. Um, but for, for what I heard and, and for what we talked about, uh, they didn't think that they were in a spot to, to, um, give me an extension that I felt like coming off 2018 and the end of 2017 that I thought was fair for the position I was in. Um, we thought that we were sitting in a pretty strong position to get, you know, a two or three year extension. Um, and, uh, we just, we never really kind of got too much traction on it. So, um, you know, they, they obviously had whatever reasons it was, they, they had those reasons to do it. And, and it's, it's bigger than just, you know, we don't like Kyle Gibson. I think, you know, the Derek and Thad made it clear that, you know, they appreciate, they appreciate having me around and it, and it wasn't personal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that was that was obviously the goal was was to try to avoid that. And um, you know, we talked, we reached out in the middle of last year as well, and and uh, you know, expressed the same interest, and and uh, we just weren't able to get anything done. Even without you, you feel like the Twins are in good shape. I mean, moving forward, coming off the hundred and one wins, and you know about the playoff disappointment, the longstanding playoff disappointment. But you think about one hundred and one wins, how tough that is to accomplish. With Rocco's leadership, with Wes Johnson, you feel like the Twins are in a good spot here moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I would say so. I think uh, you know, I've said that offense is is a really good offense. Um, you know, I think they're they're bringing back a lot of those guys. Obviously, that that had a huge impact. And um, you know, pitching is I, th- I think in today's age is really interesting. Of you know, <laughs> reading a little bit about the free agency, and then you watch some MLB Network, and you hear. You know, uh, the importance of some teams on starting pitching and the lack of importance that other teams put on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think at the end of the day, uh, you're only going to be able to accomplish what your starters accomplish. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, with Jake and, and Mike and Jose, I think they have three guys that are really good. Um, and hopefully they can stay healthy and, and throw the ball well. Um, and then, like I said, they've got some young guys who are very capable of throwing the ball really well. So, um, you know, it, last year we, the Twins relied a lot on the young offense to come alive and kind of come to form. And maybe this is the year that they kind of rely on those young starters to come to form. Um, but, I mean, I think uh, I think if the Rangers, we, we did a favor for them trading for Corey Kluber, so I'm excited about that. So maybe that, maybe that helps them out a little bit. But, uh, no, Rocco and that staff, is, they're going to have those guys ready, and I'm sure they'll have a good year. Yeah, I mean, you're joining one heck of a rotation. I mean, I don't know how close you got with Lance Lynn the time that Lance was here, but – Lance is coming mm-hmm. off a really good year. We know how good Mike Miner is. Then you think about Corey yep. Kluber, you know, assuming he's healthy. I guess that's the big question mark, but we know how good he is when he's healthy. Then you. I mean, that's one heck of a one, two, three, four. 
Yeah, and and uh, yeah, we're excited. You know, I got a, when when we traded for Kluber, we got a text from from uh, the staff saying, "Hey, we're we're excited." You know, and uh, Woody texted us and said, "Listen, man, this is the staff that we put together. We're excited about, and we know that we're going to go as far as you guys take us." And and uh, you know, I think in Jordan Lyles, even you know, he finished up last year and and reinvented himself to That's a point right, where yeah. he was mm-hmm. a really quality arm as well, and and was a big pickup for us too. So um, yeah, I think we uh, we we have a chance to to have a pretty good staff, and and uh, you know, I don't know what else the the Rangers and, and JD want to do, but. Um, you know, I think they're they're excited about going into this new stadium and you know trying to get a couple more pieces because they do feel and and we feel that if if at starting pitching we stay healthy and we throw the ball well, then then uh, a wild card is absolutely within reach and and uh, you never know what injuries lead to with other teams and and uh, see if we can close the gap on the Astros even more. Yeah, and you're right about Laz. I mean, the Twins actually had some interest in Laz. I completely forgot about him. So I mean, really. One through five, I think you guys are set up very, very well. When you look, as I dig a little bit on on your 2019 numbers, Kyle, I mean, when you look at positivity moving forward, do you look at fastball velocity and that strikeout rate, both career highs for you in 2019? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think some of those numbers are the ones that, that kind of helped uh, paint a little bit broader picture of, of where I was. Um, you know, last year, obviously the struggles at the end of the year are what they are, but um, you know, I felt really good about the plan that I had using my slider and using my changeup and, uh, look to use those even more in certain situations. Um, and, uh, I, I've never had the, the big approach where I'd, you know, and maybe it's a fault in today's game, but I've never had the big approach where I'm just going up trying to get three swings and misses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm trying to go up there and I'm trying to get an out as quick as possible, whatever that out looks like. Um, and I think last year I was just able to do a little bit better job of, especially early in the season, is when I needed a strikeout, I was able to get a strikeout. Um, and a lot of that has to do with being in strikeout counts and and being in an 0-2 and a 1-2 count, which I was able to accomplish a lot better. So, um, you know, going forward, it's kind of that same principle for me is, you know, how can I get ahead of guys and, you know, how can I get in those counts where you can take advantage of getting a strikeout um, and take advantage of, of your best off-speed pitches. So, um you know, that's kind of how I look at it going forward. And, yeah, the velo is what it is. I think I will always say until I'm done playing that my one of the best decisions I made was going down to the Florida baseball ranch and talking to Randy Sullivan and those guys and, and getting my delivery, you know, cleaned up and, and more efficient to a point where I could throw the ball better and have better stuff. So um, I'm thankful to those guys for, for helping me out a lot as well. Are you going back there anytime in the, in the near future? So I've been in touch with Randy quite a bit, you know, just uh, always, you know, reaching out for different things here and there. And, and um, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to because we won't be in Florida this year. So, mm-hmm. um, but Randy, is he's the type of guy that he's told me if I have any questions to reach out and and, uh, and he'll help me in any way. So uh, those guys are, are always going to have a, a huge connection to my career for sure. We know you're a good guy because you agreed to come on the podcast. But, I mean, the Twins actually, well, more like the, the baseball writers here in the Twin Cities, recognized you for your good guy deeds and duties and all that with the Media Good Guy Award, I believe. You won it last year as well. So at the Diamond Awards in January, you will be honored as the Media Good Guy. Do you plan on coming up here for the Diamond Awards? I, I won't be able to come up because I believe the, the Rangers have a, a similar uh, media that weekend as well. Okay, um, yeah, so it's so like I'll the be, Rangers I'll be Fest or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, but I will absolutely send in a video and and send in my my regards and thanks to the baseball writers. It was, you know, that that group of of writers up there and and the media up there have have treated the Twins really well. And um, 
you know, I've obviously had some ups and downs and, and faced uh, some fair criticism at times and maybe some, some unfair criticism at other times, but uh, never, never once did I feel like that, um, you know, was being singled out or treated unfairly by those guys. And, and uh, I think I, I appreciate everything that they do for our careers and, and for bringing to light, you know, the positive stuff that a lot of players up there do off the field and, and uh, you know, drawing fans into to each and every game. So um, maybe it has a lot to do with how much personal information I had to share with you guys uh, throughout the year. So yeah, uh, that could have been that could have been part of it this year. But you know, it comes with it comes with being being a person who's been around there a while. And you just you know, whenever things go wrong or you know something like that, you're the guy that has to answer questions. And and uh, I welcome that. And um, you know, it was uh, it was a different role for me to be in a little bit. You know, especially once. You know, Joe retired, uh, and Dozier was gone, and and some of those guys were gone, and um, I enjoyed it. It was uh, it was fun to get to know you guys up there. We always appreciated your openness and your honesty. I mean, any regrets as you look back, even even in your minor league time with the Twins? I mean, you think about it, Kyle. I mean, a good chunk of your time, like I don't even know. I mean, you have three kids. You said, I mean, all born while you were with the Twins or the Twins organization. I don't even know if you knew your wife going back ten years, but like think about all the life events from the time that the Twins took you. In the first round, going back ten years ago, I mean, as you look back at the last ten years, I mean, any regrets? I mean, I guess just how do you how do you summarize your ten years in the Twins organization? Um, you know what? It was uh, it was a lot of growth. I feel like um, it was uh, I I had met my wife before I met her at Missouri, uh, and it was an incredible journey to to go on with her, and um, you know, I think had a lot of ups and downs as well. You know, I think back to, you know, Tommy John in 2011 when I was in AAA, um, you know, before that had one of the most fun years of my career going from high A to AAA in 2010, uh, and the confidence that the organization always had in me. Um, you know, then moving forward after the Tommy John rehab, you know, getting called up in that experience in 2013. And, you know, once again, just the, the bodes of confidence that, that, uh, the twins always had in me and, and the patience they had, um, not all the time was I the most consistent guy um, on the field, but they made sure to to have confidence in, in everything I was doing. And um, you know, I think uh, regrets. I don't know that I have have too many regrets. Um, you know, maybe I'll look back and I'll say, man, I really wish I would have done this or done that. But um, you know, I feel like we tried to accomplish everything we could when we were in the Twin Cities, and and um, you know, we'll stay connected with with some of the charities that we've gotten to know and. And we'll definitely stay connected with some of the people, but um, it was it was a really humbling uh, week and a half after I signed with the Rangers to get some of the texts that I got and to have people reach out uh, that reached out and um, just saying congratulations and and um, you know people like uh, a Kate Townley you know who who mm-hmm. was in the organization ever since I was and uh, the I think it was the week after I was drafted we went to uh, Pizza Luce on my first trip up to Minnesota and, uh, and she, she bought me my first slice of Minnesota pizza up there. So, um, you know, she texted me and I said, all right, well, next time I'm in town, the pizza's on me. So, uh, it's just, it's fun stuff like that, that, that you get to relive a little bit and, and you get time to reflect on. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was a lot of fun over the 10 years, that's for sure. Um, and, uh, we'll miss the twin cities for sure. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things that, you know, there's not much that you can change. Obviously you can't change anything that you've already done and that you've already lived. And it's just trying to, to learn from the things where maybe you messed up and, 
and use the experience where you feel like you made good decisions, you know, in your new place that you live. And, and, uh, you know, I think that's, that's one of the big things we're going to try to accomplish with Texas is, you know, how can we immerse ourselves in the community and how can we, uh, you know, get to know the teammates and lives around us and, and, you know, dive in like we did in Minnesota. You know, I mean, it, it took me a few years to really do that um, and to kind of figure out what I wanted to do uh, off the field uh, in Minnesota. But, you know, having that experience, I feel like sets us in a good spot where we can hit the ground running in Texas and, and uh, you know, do that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's we're just in a different season of life. You know, we got all three kids now and, and all the kids are going to be, uh, be Rangers fans and, and get to experience that part of the country, which will be different. You know, I've already been asked uh, by my kids, you know, about certain people that we've seen or, you know, they're babysitters in Minnesota. You know, my daughter says, well, we're never going to see her again. No, honey, that's not the case. Yeah. We'll, we'll find time to see her again. But, um, yeah, yeah, there's always things like that. But um, I, I would say I don't have any regrets. It was, uh, it was a fun time and, and uh, a good time of life for us, for sure. Speaking of reflecting, and I'll let you go after this, Kyle, and you, you brought up Mizzou, Missouri. You went into the Missouri Hall of Fame, what, like mid-October, yeah. late, late October, not that long ago. Like, how, how yeah. cool was that? You know, it was, uh, I, I was, let's see, I think it was 2017 when Tim Laudner went into the Missouri Hall of Fame, and uh, he came up and told me, and uh, it was just, it was super cool to see how excited he was about that. Um, and to be able to, to give him a call and do the same thing uh, and tell him was was a really cool experience. But um, it's just something that you don't really ever, you know, you don't go to college and play college baseball thinking, man, I'm going to be a Missouri Hall of Famer. Um, you know, it's, it's there's just so many athletes, and it's a, a way more elite club. Um, and I was actually sitting at my daughter's gymnastic practice when I got a call from a Columbia, Missouri number, and I said, well, I guess I might as well pick it up here and see who it is. And uh <laughs> It was the athletic director, Jim Sturk, and, and we got to talk, and he was like, hey, you're going to go into the Hall of Fame this year. And uh, it was really, really humbling, um, you know, to join guys like, you know, Max and, and Aaron Crow, uh, Ian Kinsler, um, you know, guys that, that did it at a really high level, um, and then guys that, that have, you know, done it at the professional level as well. And, um, you know, Tim and I, just all those guys. I mean, it, uh, it's it's really cool to, to sit back and, and kind of do what we just did about Minnesota, but reflect on my time at Mizzou and, and uh, realize how much I learned, you know, those three years in Missouri and, and how thankful I was that that's where I ended up. You know, I was two days away from signing with the Phillies or going to Missouri, and I didn't know what I wanted to do um, and how different my career path might have been had I picked, mm-hmm. you know, the Phillies instead. So um, it, uh, it's really cool to look back on that and then, and then to, to be honored like that was was uh, really special. Kyle, thank you for doing this. I know I speak for many in, in Twins territory when I say we wish you nothing but the best and all your work, including all your work off the field. I mean, all the work you did from a charity standpoint will never be forgotten. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, and uh, we'll see you guys in September. Much appreciation to Kyle Gibson for coming on the podcast. That was interesting what Kyle said about maybe the Twins rely on some of those young arms in 2020 that the offense may not necessarily carry them like it did in 2019. I do think there will be some regression. I mean, I just don't see how the Twins hit 307 home runs once again. So you figure there will be some regression that all these position guys will not have career years again at the plate. But if guys like, you know, go up and down the list, the Dobnax and others, you know, I mean, if these guys – 
can offer some really good innings. You know, they have a bunch of different young arms. I mean, even in the bullpen, Duffy, Littell, I mean, if these guys can keep building on some of the things we saw last year, then maybe the pitching can take a step forward and it can even out and the Twins can make another run at 100 wins. I do think, though, there is a risk and a move where we're going to say, hey, I'm surprised the Twins did that or the Twins overpaid, whether it's prospects in a trade or whatever it might be. Maybe it's a free agent contract. I do think that move for a pitcher is still coming. I can tell you this much. On Hyun Jin Ryu, the Twins know that they have to offer four years to have any prayer to get him to come here. The belief is publicly he's saying all the right things through a Japanese reporter, but the belief is his strong preference is to remain on the West Coast. So to convince him to come to Minnesota, the Twins know that they would have to offer him four years. I'm told as of the other day that the Twins have not come to the determination that Ryu is worth a four-year deal. Frankly, you look at his injury history, he's not worth a four-year deal. But that is what I'm talking about with some sort of risk coming. Maybe it's not Ryu and offering him four years, but I do think there is some risk involved with a move that the Twins will make that is forthcoming. They have talked to the Rockies, I'm told, about John Gray. There is a belief, too, that the Rockies will pull the trigger at some point on a John Gray trade. Whether it's with the Twins remains to be seen. Many teams have interest in John Gray. We know that the Twins have talked to the Miami Marlins about a number of their arms. The Marlins do have some interest in Eddie Rosario, Jake Cave, some other Twins players. Some other Twins notes here in this first segment of the Scoop Podcast, episode 272 on this Friday night. Ian Miller who saw a little bit of time with the Twins in September. He signed a minor league deal with the Cubs this week, I'm told. The Twins did not have interest in bringing him back. He was outrighted off the 40-man roster in October. In case you missed it, from my Twitter account, DWolfs on KSTP, I had it a few days ago, that Caleb Thielbar, the former Twin, is back in the Twins organization. He signs a minor league deal, the pride of Randolph, Minnesota. Justin Smoke signed a one-year deal with the Brewers the other day, one-year, $5 million. I was asked on Twitter, did the Twins have interest in Smoke? The answer is no. I've also been asked, hey, do the Twins have interest in former Brewer Eric Thames? I am told no. The answer is no on him. They have talked to C.J. Crone's agent about the possibility of a return, but at this point it looks like the Twins are going to wait and see what happens with Josh Donaldson. It's a sneaky under-the-radar talking point with the Twins that they are looking to improve their infield defense. So I just don't know how you improve the infield defense by leaving Sano at third base. So I think moving Sano to first for 2020, maybe eventually DH down the road, makes the most sense. So finding some sort of third baseman, whether that's Donaldson or someone else, I think makes the most sense. All right, we're up against the clock in this segment. Let's get the break. When we come back, we'll catch up with Mike Tice, plus we'll talk Timberwolves trade rumors. Stay with us. You're listening to the back, everyone, to Scoop Podcast episode 272 right here on Score North. Right now, back by popular demand, at least that's what the script says, it's former Vikings player, assistant coach, and head coach Mike Tice. Happy holidays, Mike. How are things? Doogie, happy holidays to you, my brother. Well, things are good. Christmas shopping is almost done or done. Well, who knows? I usually get some stuff late. But uh, we got a lot of rain here in Seattle, my man. A lot of rain. 
You don't want to hear that with all that cold you guys got going. I was going to say, yeah, Mike, <laughs> it's like two below right now. There's snow on the ground. I mean, this time last year, there actually wasn't snow on the ground. So, yeah, don't don't give me the pity party about the rain in Seattle at this point, Mike. Right. No kidding. I, don't, I hear you, bro. All right. Let's start here, Mike. So, we are fast approaching the 15-year anniversary of your playoff victory as Vikings coach at Lambeau Field, January 9th, 2005. So January 9th, as the calendar flips, that will be the 15-year anniversary. When I bring up that playoff victory at Lambeau, you as head coach, I guess what what comes to mind? The moon. (laughs) (laughs) The moon, man. You remember the moon? I do, yeah. Joe Buck, Randy Moss. I mean, who the heck could forget that, Mike? Uh, well, it, what comes to mind is what a great job uh, my coaching staff did in uh, digging up uh, some uh, some tendencies that they had. We were able to check to a couple of passes that both turned into touchdowns. And what a great job by Scott Lanahan and, and the offensive staff to find those little tidbits and give us a, an opportunity to score. And, you know, win a playoff game in Green Bay. What a great feeling that is! It's it's a great it's great to win a game in Green Bay, but to win a playoff game in Green Bay is unbelievable. On top of that, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys had lost something like seven of ten games entering the playoffs. It's not like you guys were were on this high, but then all of a sudden you end up beating Green Bay by what was it like two touchdowns? Yeah, it was nice. I mean, you turn around, and look at the ball I got in here in my office. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, 31-17. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, yeah, two <laughs> touchdowns. I can do the math on that. I mean, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, 31-17, but you guys had not played good football leading into the playoffs. Yeah, we were kind of beat up, worn down. We didn't have a lot of depth. We started out the season extremely well, and then, you know, the depth uh, and the injuries and just a lack of, uh, uh, of continue to be consistent in areas, we started to fade, but uh, we... Uh, we had to pull it, pull it out of our butts, and uh, we went into Green Bay and got it done. Nobody thought we could, so that was that was exciting. But let's talk about Green Bay Packers and the, and the Vikings this week, Duke. Absolutely, Monday night as you size up the matchup on Monday. You know how do you analyze it? Well, let's start with the injuries to the running back situation. Uh, Dalvin Cook has a shoulder. Of course, uh, rookie uh, Alexander Madison, who's having a great year, has an ankle. Didn't do much last week. Uh, Big Mike Boom comes in from the University of Cincinnati and has two touchdowns. And I just want to give a shout-out to my friend, Kennedy Pola, the I feel the best running back coach I've been around. Um, uh, certainly has done a great job with the players that he has coached over the years. And and uh, he really is doing a great job with that group you guys have up there in Minnesota. Uh, I know he likes running backs that can catch, so I'm guessing Boone can catch as well. And I know that he knows his pass protection so let's start with the running backs I don't know that uh, it's going to be a determining factor if if a couple of guys are a little banged up that that's going to make a difference in the game so let's start with that I think uh, the running backs will do a great job by committee Uh, let's go to the uh, turnover differential well we're at the uh, the Packers are at plus 14 uh, meanwhile the Vikings are plus 11 so neither team is really turning the ball over a lot you know that Aaron Rodgers only has two picks, I believe. and uh, So what what do we got going on? Well, what I think we got going on is who's going to stop the other team? <laughs> after talking about the running backs, right? Who's going to stop the other team's running backs? you got Aaron Jones. He's got 830 yards, and uh, he's got a lot of TDs. He's got uh, 17 TDs, and 
and everyone wants to talk about Devontae Adams, but I think you got to keep an eye on that other running back, Jamal Williams. He's got six total TDs. He's got five receiving TDs. So I think the Vikings on defense got to shut down those running backs. Of course, Aaron Rodgers is always dangerous when he gets on the move. they got to keep him in the pocket, and I'm sure the coaches know that. I'm not saying anything that they don't know. I'm just talking for the fans here. And then, and offensively, uh, you know, offensively for for us, uh, we're going to have to run the ball, but the receivers are going to have to step up and then make some plays. You're going to have good weather. It's going to be cold outside, but it's going to be nice inside. So they got to make some big plays in the passing game uh, against a, a solid Green Bay defense. They've got the numbers turnover-wise, but they give up a lot of yards, Doogie. Well, you know what? Green Bay's defense, Mike, did a really good job week two containing the Vikings' bootleg-slash-play-action game. Like, I would argue, Mike, that Green Bay, of any opponent this year, contained the Vikings' play-action game as well as anyone. I guess just overall, I'm not asking you to remember exactly what Green Bay did, its tendencies, week two, mid-September. But, I mean, overall, when you're scheming to defend the Vikings' play-action game, I guess what are... What are some keys? Like, I'm thinking, like, you know, backside containment. Like, is that one? Like, what, what comes to mind when I say, how do, you, how do you do your best to contain any team, but in this case, the Vikings, the Vikings play action game? Well, a lot of it has to do with the depth of the running back, uh, the linebacker, excuse me. The, the running backs are the key. When you got that run game going, you got that solid run game going, those linebackers have to step up and stop that run game. And if the run game's going, and even if it's just adequate, because it's been great all year, then their linebackers are going to have to defend it. And that gives that separation for those over routes that the Vikings like. They're one of the most explosive teams, I want to say, overall pass and run. They're like top five explosive teams in the league, the Vikings are. And so they do a nice job of getting those chunk yardage. I look for them to get the ball out a little quicker if they can't get that play-action game going and make sure they're using some possession passing. Uh, they've got a great coaching staff. Uh, you know, uh, Kevin's done a great job calling plays. Of course, you got Kubiak and Dennison there. I, I think they're going to come up with a plan that gives them a, a chance, them being the Vikings, a chance to be explosive and get the ball in their playmakers' hands. How do you look at, well, speaking of Dalvin, his situation where he's not going to be 100% anytime soon. It is possible, Mike, if the 49ers beat the Rams this weekend, and that's a Saturday game. I mean, it's entirely possible. I mean, the 49ers are favored. I mean, if the 49ers win that game, the Vikings are in the playoffs regardless of what takes place on Monday. So, like, how would you balance that as the head coach when you know your player isn't 100%? He may not even practice all week. You don't necessarily need to win the game if you already have that playoff spot wrapped up. Like, would you automatically then sit Dalvin Cook, give him the time he needs to rest? I can't speak for Coach Zimmer, but I think that they're probably thinking this is the Packers. It's an it's an arch rival. They're playing in our house. We're going to find a way to win this game. If that means Dalvin Cook carries the ball with a bad shoulder 20, 25 times, I doubt that'll happen though. Uh, then that's how what we're going to do to win. Uh, you got to win these games and help your seeding if you can. If you win these games, other things are going to happen in these last two weeks. They always do. And so I think the Vikings want to do everything they can to win this game. I don't know if they're talking about sitting guys and resting. I I don't think that's in the vocabulary this week. Yeah, well, I mean, he's banged up. So, I mean, he legitimately is hurt. So, I mean, just health-wise, he may not be able to go. I think if he can go, 
he will. But I'm saying, Mike, I guess I would not be surprised because, I mean, he didn't practice, you know, earlier this week. I mean, I just, I don't anticipate Dalvin playing on Monday, but I think it's because he legitimately is banged up. As you look at the playoff picture, who, like, who is a good matchup for the Vikings first round? Like, you're talking about playoff seeding. Like, if the Vikings can get to five, is that the best possible scenario? I mean, realistically, I think Detroit can't beat the Packers Week 17. So even if the Packers lose on Monday, I think the Packers end up winning the NFC North because they'll beat the Lions Week 17. But like, if the Vikings can position themselves to the fifth seed, end up starting with likely Dallas, is that maybe the most favorable situation for the Vikings? Well, I don't know if that's a favorable situation playing Dallas. They looked pretty good last week on offense. They did, so. yeah. You know, any team that's going to get in the in the in the playoffs in the uh, postseason is going to be a formidable opponent. Uh, you know, they 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 match up well against Cowboys because they've already beaten the Cowboys. Uh, the Saints are tough. Uh, it's just a tough road, Doogie, when you get in the playoffs. I don't know that you want to wish for one team or another, but uh, that's uh, that's not something I think they're concerned about right now. I think. If Dalvin Cook can't go because of his shoulder, he won't play. Then they'll move on to the next guy. They proved that last week with Big Mike Boone that they, you know, they have some depth. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I mean, as you look at your NFC power rankings, I mean, I guess you know, pecking order wise, I mean, you know, the team in your backyard would Seattle be number one? Do you think New Orleans right now should be considered the favorite? I mean, I guess the cliche might hold true, Mike. That. Nearly every, any, every, whatever, Sunday, Saturday, Thursday, that, you know what? Just about any of the six playoff teams can beat the other playoff team. Like, if the Vikings are the sixth seed, but they're matched up against Seattle or San Francisco, it's not like I would sit here and say the Vikings have no chance in that game. I mean, are you with me on that, that there isn't that much separation between the one seed and the sixth seed in the NFC? Well, every team has holes. There, There's no great team. I mean, look at New England this year. Every team out there has holes. The Bills have a tremendous defense, but they don't have, they don't score a lot of points. You know, the Texans are inconsistent. The The Saints, I think, are the team that are, is rolling pretty good right now. Uh, the 49ers have had an excellent year, but you can run the ball in the 49ers. The Seahawks have won a lot of close games because of Russell Wilson. They're 11 and 3, the number one seed in the NFC right now, and I've watched every Viking game and every Seahawks game this year closely, my two teams, mm-hmm. and they've got holes. So uh, it's going to be an exciting run here to the finish to see who's going to represent the, the tough NFC uh, as they keep going forward in the playoffs. One final question for Mike Tice. Mike, did I see that your brother in law, he's leaving the Gophers already? Yeah, he left the Gophers to go back east uh, to Rutgers. He had already put a uh, part of his career with the Rutgers, and uh, he uh, really, uh, I thought he had a nice year. The team had a nice year. They mm-hmm. get to play in a nice bowl game in Tampa, uh, but he chose for his career and his for his family. All of his kids are back east, and I know, you know, when I was in Jacksonville and Nate Tice, my son, was at Edina, my daughter, Adrian, uh, was uh, going to school at uh, over in uh, St. Paul and mm-hmm. St. Thomas. Yep. I wanted to be by my kids, and that's the reason why I pursued going to the Chicago Bears. It wasn't like I didn't want to work with Jack Del Rio, one of my best friends. I wanted to be near my kids, and so that's, that had a lot to do with Jimmy's decision. Makes complete sense. Mike, remind folks where they can check you out on Twitter and where your podcast is available. 
Yeah, well, we come out on Fridays. We've got a couple of great guests this week. We've got Russell Wilson on the mm. Seahawks. Russell's on. We have Shamir Stefan on from the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, Shamar. Yeah, Shamar Stefan. Yeah. Shamar Stefan. Sorry. Shamar Stefan. Sorry, Shamar. I got your last name right. <laughs> Stefan. And uh, he's, a new, he's a Long Island boy. He's from uh, Long Island. He's from uh-huh. Brookfield, New York. So I'm going to get a chance to speak with him. Uh, we'll, they'll be out on Friday on Odds and Ends Pod. That's uh, O-D-D-S, the letter in E-N-D-S pod. And uh, also I come out my YouTube show on Saturdays, and that's a, a real quick show, seven or eight minutes, and I pick some NFL games. Doing pretty good this year. Was going for seven in a row last week when I pushed uh, the Viking, the Seahawks were minus six. Uh. And they were like six. I don't know how these guys figure this stuff out. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank God I don't bet on the game. <laughs> oh, God. So it's crazy. So, right. listen, uh, thanks for having me on. Have a great holiday, Doogie. Uh, let's get this win on Monday night. It'll be a great win for the Minnesota Vikings and the Purple. It'll be fun, Mike. Happy holidays. I'll be in touch. All right, brother. Bye-bye. We go from one New Yorker to another, at least somebody who works in New York. Let's now catch up with Ian Begley. He's available on Twitter, at Ian Begley. Ian works for SNY. He covers the Knicks, the Nets, really the NBA as a whole, formerly of ESPN. Ian had an interesting story on the SNY website earlier this week saying the Wolves have trade interest in Dennis Smith Jr. of the New York Knicks. Ian, thanks for your time. I guess... What's your sense? I mean, how would you classify, you know, the level of interest from your sourcing, the Wolves' interest in Dennis Smith Jr.? Yeah, I couldn't get a clear degree on that. I, I you know, so I, I hesitate to say anything there to qualify it in any way. I just know that there is, there, there has been some interest that's been uh, expressed, and, and you know, people are aware that the T Wolves are not the only team that has expressed a level of interest in Dennis. Uh, but, you know, my sense was that nothing was imminent. It's it's so early. We're still so far away from the trade deadline. But teams that are in touch with the Knicks are under the impression that one of their point guards is going to get moved, whether it's Dennis Smith Jr., Alfred Payton, Frank Milikina. It seems like based on playing time, that Smith Jr. would be the most likely guard to be moved. But the interesting thing there, of course, is he was the best player they got the Knicks, that is, in the Kristaps Porzingis trade, mm-hmm. and I wonder if that makes management hesitant to make a move. I mean, how come he doesn't play? Like, you're talking about all these teams having trade interest in Dennis. I mean, what about his own team having some interest in Dennis? I mean, he's gotten some DNP CDs recently? He has two under interim head coach Mike Miller, and it's it's just it's been a certainly a frustrating year for Dennis Smith Jr. I think the Knicks thought that he would come into training camp in great shape with an improved jump shot. That that wasn't really the case in either either respect and it was a struggle for him and then you know, he missed two weeks. He was away due to the death of a family member. And then, you know, he, he came back, the shot's been inconsistent, but uh, he played well in the Knicks win over the Hawks a couple nights ago and you know, he should continue to see minutes this uh as we go forward here, uh, as the Knicks continue on, and I think what teams see is maybe an undervalued asset. They could probably get a Dennis Smith Jr. for um, certainly a pick outside the lottery, and maybe you think you get him in your program, get him away from New York, and help him realize his potential because you know, he was a player that was so highly coveted going into that, that draft, and a lot of teams loved him, and it hasn't worked out. 
for myriad reasons, but maybe you think change of scenery, get him with our coaches, and we could get him uh, going in the right direction. I'm with you. I mean, a lottery pick is unrealistic. I mean, do you think it's realistic that New York could get a lottery-protected first-round pick for him, or is that even maybe shooting for the moon? Uh, you know, I asked a couple of executives, and their speculation was, you know, first at end of the first-round pick or, you know, a couple of seconds. But uh, certainly nothing in the lottery. I think that's that's a realistic way of looking at it, but, you know, the value is probably for Dennis Smith at its lowest, given his performance this season and the idea that he has been able to crack minute, crack the rotation consistently on a seven-win team. Uh, so, you know, you, you put those factors together and you can get an idea why the Knicks should be super optimistic about what they can get back in a Dennis Smith trade. How much pressure is on that Knicks front office these next six weeks to navigate the trade deadline? You know, properly, I mean, is it an interesting time there? I mean, I think back to, like, this time last year here, I mean, I guess after Tom Thibodeau was fired, I guess early January, you know, Scott Layden was the interim, you know, I mean, he was he was the interim top dog, right? I mean, title of general manager, but he really didn't have final authority until Tibbs was fired. Layden's in charge. He was reluctant to do anything at the trade deadline, even though he had offers for Anthony Tolliver. Some other guys because he just he didn't want to he didn't want to ruffle feathers. So it was an odd time trade deadline here last year. I guess I'm curious as you look at that Knicks front office, like how much pressure is on them to get this trade deadline right? And because of that, might there be any reluctance to not pull the trigger on some offers? Yeah, I think there's a lot of uncertainty around the front office and team president Steve Mills at this point. I mean, you know, there are people. Uh, in the organization that had, are under the impression that if the Knicks don't significantly improve under interim head coach Mike Miller, they expect there to be, excuse me, a change at the team president position. So there's a significant amount of pressure um, with Mills and with GM Scott Perry to get it right, no matter what the decision is or isn't, whether it's the state pad or make a move. Um, it, it has to be the right one because for Mills, I think the Knicks have to, again, show market improvement under Mike Miller for him to be safe moving forward. And I think what, what you're going to see is the Knicks, I don't think, are going to make a big move because I don't, with the uncertainty of the front office, I don't know if they'll get the green light from the powers that be to make a move like that, but a move like a Dennis Smith trade and uh, trading a player who is not consistently in your rotation, that seems more realistic. But a big swing, I don't see this this front office take making that kind of move given where everything is with the job security of everyone involved there. With your Nets duties, I mean, any sense? I mean, I guess I'll just come out and say it. Like, if the Wolves have any ability whatsoever to acquire Spencer Dinwiddie, that's a guard that they should be after, not necessarily Dennis Smith Jr. But, like, from what you sense, I mean, any chance that the Nets would listen on, on Dinwiddie? No, I don't think so. I don't think so because – He's such an important piece for Brooklyn, you know, not only this season and the season where they're waiting for Kevin Durant to come back, you know, but also the following year when Durant, they think, is back and healthy and he joins Kyrie Irving and Karis LeVert and the rest in Brooklyn to try to make a push for an NBA title. They see Dinwiddie as such an important piece there. I think the only way you're going to pry at Dinwiddie from Brooklyn is if they're, if it returns like a third star to the Nets. And, you know, those deals are hard to come by. But as far as, 
you know, sending Spencer out for a player uh, of comparable value and, and uh, production. I don't see Brooklyn exploring that kind of a deal. Couple final points for Ian Bagley. He does a great job covering the NBA for SNY out of New York. What about Kyrie Irving? I mean, I thought he might be back by now, Ian, but then I don't know. Seemingly there was some sort of setback. Like when, when will we get to enjoy Kyrie Irving back on the court? It, it's been a bizarre timetable here and a bizarre injury. Uh, you know, initially it was day to day and then it moved from week to week. And now, you know, we're still waiting for Irving to, I think, take the next step and practice consistently, take contact consistently on the practice court. And, you know, Kenny Atkinson mentioned the idea that Irving would ramp things up when he was speaking a couple weeks ago, and he put a two-week timetable on it, and I don't think that's happened yet. So, you know, Atkinson said last week there's been no setback, there's been consistent progress. So you're wondering what the holdup is at this point. Unfortunately for the Nets, they've done more than tread water with Irving out. Dinwiddie has played really well. Jerry Allen has played well. Joe Harris, they've done well without Irving. But certainly they would love to have him back to continue to implement him into what they run, get him comfortable uh, with their system, get the players around him comfortable with him. It's so important uh, for the Nets to get that done this season as they get set to welcome Durant back. So, you know, as the days tick on, the weeks go by here, it's, it's a troubling situation for Brooklyn. As you canvass the league, as you talk to your to your many sources, I mean, do you get the sense that this will be an active six weeks, you know, on the trade front? I mean, whether New York pulls the trigger or not, whether Brooklyn pulls the trigger or not, do you think league-wide we might see a few trades? Yeah, I think why, why the expectation is, as a yes, as an answer to that question, is because there are so many teams that either are in the middle or at the top, and they feel like, you know, they're a move away from uh, leveling up, so to speak, getting to either getting to that uh, upper tier in your conference or, or pushing yourself towards, uh, you know, an NBA Finals, NBA title. There are so many teams that feel like they have a shot this season because Golden State is where Golden State is, um, that I, I do expect to see a significant uh, amount of deals before we get to February 7th. That's funny because usually when that's the expectation, the opposite happens. Correct. In this instance, because of the, the, the league, where it is, and how many teams feel like they have a legit shot, I think you will see some movement uh, coming up here in the next few weeks. Do you think New Orleans will move Drew Holiday? I mean, I guess I would be surprised, Ian. Just, you know, I'll never say never. I mean, it's not like he's untouchable. I mean, if New Orleans, if David Griffin gets an unbelievable offer, I'm sure he'd say yes, but... Like, he hasn't played yet with Zion. I remember all the dialogue from Griff and others in New Orleans over the summer about how this is now Drew's team with Anthony Davis gone. I guess I would be surprised, because I'm sure the Wolves have interest in Drew Holiday, but, like, Ian, I would be surprised if if New Orleans ultimately moves him. I think I'm with you, Darren. I think it would have to take a monster offer uh, to get Drew out of New Orleans. And obviously, the more likely guy to move there is J.J. Redick, because everybody needs shooting. Uh, he's one of the best in the league at it. So I'm sure they'll get a ton of calls on JJ. But yeah, I think with Drew, it's just, it, there's no reason for them to, unless somebody comes with a godfather offer, there's no reason for them to move off of him right now. They're not, they're not in any position to where they, they should feel like, hey, we have to make, make a move here by February 7th. Because if, you know, the season 
goes where it goes and where it looks like it's where it's headed, uh, you can still trade Drew in the offseason, and maybe the market's different for him at that point if a team, you know, doesn't reach its expectations in the postseason, feels like it's a true holiday away, maybe the market's different, especially before the draft. So, yeah, I don't think there's any sense of urgency on the Orleans part to make that move. Olivia, after this, what's what's your view? I guess what what is your perspective of of what's taking place here in Minnesota? I'm always curious to pick the brains of of some of the national folks. I mean, you know, the Wolves were playing well until about December first. Now they've lost eight consecutive games. You know, Carl Anthony Towns might miss even another game or two with this knee injury. Jake Lehman isn't close for coming back. You know, with with this turf toe injury, this this sprained toe. I guess just as you size up the Wolves and as you talk to people in the league, I guess what is what is the perception of what is taking place here? And I'll tell you this much, Ian. I mean, I'm sure you you realize this, but there are a lot of people here in Minnesota that fear that that what took place in New Orleans with Anthony Davis is going to happen eventually with Carl Anthony Towns and Towns demanding out of here. Now, that might be a year or two from now, but I'm just telling you, that's the way a lot of Wolves fans think, that you know, it's just a matter of when, not if, that Towns will look to get out of here. I mean, listen, Darren, you know the league as well as anybody, and you know that there's well-founded reason for the fan base to be anxious because I think with any team, Minnesota, New Orleans, but really any team, but particularly teams in those kind of markets when you have a young star you want to show that player that you are uh, moving towards building towards uh, putting a uh, an elite team around that player. So I think that's that that's well founded uh, agita among the fan base. And I think in in the short term, though, it's it's kind of what everyone else is seeing. You know, this team needs a, a lead guard. Um, I think you know, as you guys well know, uh, it, it sounds like they're down on on Jeff Teague. So you need mm-hmm. a lead guard there. You need somebody um, that can create opportunities for his teammates, make the game easier for his teammates. So, you know, if they're aggressive in their pursuit of that lead guard uh, coming up on uh, February 7th, the trade deadline, I think maybe things will look a little bit different uh, for Minnesota after they pull a deal like that. But I think that's the glaring, uh, glaring weakness, uh, glaring spot here that I think people, when they look at the T-Wolves, they see so how aggressive are they going after a point guard going after a lead guard is it a is it a tier b tier c move like the Dennis Smith jr move that we talked about or is it a bigger player like a drew holiday that you mentioned um i think that's going to dictate a lot of of how things play out for minnesota not only this season but uh beyond so it's going to be fascinating to see um how that unfolds and how management handles things in the coming weeks He's available on Twitter at Ian Bagley. Ian, happy holidays. Thank you for doing this. Good stuff. Thanks so much, Dan. Appreciate it. To you, too. As the weeks move on, we'll certainly do more on the NBA. I think anybody who's listened to this podcast going back three and a half years knows how much NBA we do. But I think as we get into January, closer to the trade deadline, I was texting with Brian Windhorst the other day. He'll be on a future podcast. I've got some other ideas. I was catching up with Sam Mitchell recently so and George Carl. So we'll bring all of our NBA friends back on the podcast in the very near future. David Thorpe as well. Always love David. So I appreciate Ian Begley of SNY hopping on the podcast. Podcast. All right, we are done. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Happy holidays. Built to last.